0: Hey everybody, how you doing? So um, if you haven't noticed, progressives have shifted from this denial mode um, on a number of issues. Uh, for example, uh, have you heard lately, like LCPS doesn't teach critical race theory. Um, they've gone from that to a mode of deflection um, and a tactic that I kind of like to call, it's a kind of a word I made up on a whim. Uh, I don't think it's even a real word, but let's go go with it. It's called definitionism. Now, as a linguist and as an intelligence professional, I'm pretty fond of precision. I'm especially fond of it in language. Most of my debates uh, typically uh, focus on me attacking wishy-washy, imprecise language. I could, and I've spent hours at a time debating people um, and, and... It takes forever for me to even introduce my own opinion on the issue because what I'm really getting at is the fact that the argument that's countering mine is weak. It lacks uh, precision, it lacks conciseness. And I, I, you know, I, as someone who would like to win the debate that he's participating in, I seize upon that, not as a means of being oppressive or mean, but just it's an easier route to making your point hold and to, you know, for lack of a better word, win. Uh, I'm not some master orator myself, you know, that just from listening to me on these podcasts, uh, I'm not Ronald Reagan, but I know when words convey weakness and I say all of this as well as a guy who appreciates abstract ideas, art, creativity, the human side of things. I'm an artist myself. I've spoken about that in the past. I do watercolor and oil, oil painting. I've even won awards for it. And I really appreciate that side of humanity and people. I appreciate how the human side can, uh, impart value to an opinion and how it speaks to one's freedom of expression. And and I like that. But think about the term again that I just created, definitionism. Think about how it's employed both here in Loudoun and nationally in the debate over critical race theory. By definitionism, I mean things like the retorts against us who protest critical race theory, sounding a little bit like this, like, that's not critical race theory, or Robin DiAngelo isn't actually a critical race theorist. Uh, And then it kind of devolves into like, well, what's the definition of CRT then? And you can't even define it, can you? So how could you be against critical race theory? And you see this tactic employed from the lowest levels, rank and file citizenry, people like you and I, to the activists, the people who live and breathe this stuff every day. And I mean more so like professional activists, not just grassroots ones, uh, to the media, it's really prevalent in the media, to politicians, and it's all coordinated. It's all the same message. And and they're demanding precision because they cannot fathom the existence of a nuanced opinion against it. They look at us as having the exact same opinion about everything, being in total agreement about everything. We're all just the same. Further further to that point, and maybe most shocking um, to, to it, is that they're speaking in defense of a theory that is designed to suction itself to all things, literally all things. Critical race theory isn't meant to stand alone. It's not meant to be its like own department of study at a university. From math to gender studies to even in the gymnasium, its, it's intent is to infect you with like this morbid lie that you can't study anything without the consideration of race. Worse, nothing is real, or real as we perceive it anyway, if we fail to recognize this racial lens through which we're supposed to see things. That lens, it reveals to us, with zero room for debate, in fact, that all we know is tainted by the sins of our past. That's what critical race theory is, in a very blunt, kind of loose, uh, wide-ranging definition, how we perceive it. All of this is evidence of what I've reiterated reiterated in previous episodes, and I'm kind of getting at in my first couple minutes of this episode, that to them, that to proponents of critical race theory or any of these equity initiatives, initiatives, leftist initiatives, um, that to them, you aren't even a person. You don't even get the right to perceive things, much less to form an opinion based on what you perceive. An argument against them, that's laughable. Fat chance that they're going to allow that for you. They're not going to give you that opportunity to speak up and be heard or have a a valuable input to a question or an attempt at solving a problem. But Democrats, to include those here in Loudoun who claim to be relatively apolitical, they don't see the irony of this position. Just as they see all of us as the same organism, like one thing with zero room for diversity of opinion or thought, they view each other. And those who they argue, like, who need help via these equity initiatives, as the same, like, homogenous clump of cells, they're arguing as if there is no diversity within that group. They're saying it's all the same, just as they are condemning us for being the same. Why would they believe any differently than that? Their political philosophy rests almost entirely upon the desecration of the individual. The destabilization and the destabilization of humanity's most stable asset, which is the family. There's no room in progressivism to see value in the individual. They'll pretend to. They'll say it till they're red in the face. But how often do you see praise from them for, for example, gay conservatives or black Republicans or anybody that doesn't fit within like a narrow bounds of what they defined as just or correct or politically correct? Language is very powerful. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. But in in politics, it seems like the more imprecise the language gets, the more impact it has in reinforcing positions or just warping minds. Whereas logic might tell you that the opposite should hold true there. Our school board tells its media allies and its supporters that to contest their initiatives is to support inequality and and oppression. The school board regularly takes that position, That simply pursuing those equity goals is evidence of the success of those goals. I know I'm not the only one who feels like that standard for success sets a pretty low bar here, and we should be, and we are, demanding more of our elected officials to set the bar higher for themselves. If they're not going to set the bar high for themselves, they're surely not going to set it high for for the kids that they're claiming to educate, the ones they're claiming to prepare for that next step of life into young adulthood and college and, and beyond. What our school board and its allies just can't comprehend is that it's not that we don't support those initiatives that promote equal opportunity or that we don't don't broadly support the idea of the creation of an environment that promotes equal opportunity. It's that we believe our school board excuse me, and the system at large is in the midst of creating an environment, more like a battleground, where the equality there is an impossibility. See, I, I don't even have kids in the system yet. It's unlikely my girls will ever ever set foot in a Loudoun County public school. I mean, I think about this all the time. But for me, that doesn't change much about how I approach this problem, how I participate in these groups, how I want to take action and be involved in what's happening now. For as long as I'm a taxpayer here in Loudoun, I'll be contributing to a system that teaches that my girls, and they aren't even two, that they'll have something to be ashamed of, something to apologize for. Neither of those are true. For as long as they're with us, and by us, I mean my wife and I, here in Loudoun, they will be surrounded by kids taught, in essence, to be engaged in a persistent war with each other. See, I'm a veteran of a foreign war myself, so this environment we're witnessing the creation of, like I said, a battleground, it's especially intriguing to me. And the way that battleground's been set up, it just screams for my attention. Nearly a century before my girls were born, their great-grandfather, my grandfather, he was a young officer in the Polish army. At around the time when Democrats were running around in white hoods and burning crosses in yards or prepping themselves for decades' worth uh, of, of, of battles against the Civil Rights Act and other civil rights-related things, my grandfather was experiencing the harsh realities of war. In fact, he experienced torture as a prisoner in Dachau, a concentration camp. His unit was mostly slaughtered. They kept him alive because he knew six or seven languages and was able to translate for the guards when they were in-processing new prisoners or just communicating with them in general. He survived that ordeal. And my mother was born in Germany during this couple years of, uh, of time between then, between the end of the war, um, when my family was waiting to travel to the United States, start a new life, and just kind of begin at square one, step one. When they arrived here, it wasn't easy at all. They were treated like shit, basically. Spit on in the streets. My grandfather was often the target of muggings. Uh, I remember a story he used to tell me in my youth about how people used to buddy up to him on the street and say, hey, you want some chocolate? Welcome. Welcome to the States. Here's some chocolate. And it wound up being X-Lax. I only got to know him until he died in 1996. I was only 12. But I remember him being frank with me about his experiences, about his life, about his his life both you know, in war in Europe and in the United States, raising a family. He knew I could hear his night terrors sometimes too. Um, when, when I slept over my grandparents' house or when my grandparents joined us at our summer house in the Poconos, um, I would check in on him when I heard him screaming in the middle of the night. He knew I'd hear it. And uh, he would even go on to explain how those experiences in Dachau followed him for the rest of his life. He would point to places on his body. He would point them out to me where bullets passed through him and left that same body. Literal holes. On one part of his forearm, forearm, I vividly remember I could feel a place where the bullet went in and it never came out. That bullet was still there. I could feel it. I still remember what it feels like, the touch of it on my thumb today. Through all of that, though, he never asked for pity. He never felt entitled to anything. Being able to bring his kids here and see his grandchildren born and raised here as Americans, that was enough. He taught me to work for what I want, to give generously to family, friends, and those in need. He taught me those lessons just by existing. I knew those things were being taught to me via my observations. They required no special sit-downs, no special lessons. He led by example. He never taught me to he taught me to never do any of those things under an expectation of getting something in return for them nothing beyond a simple thank you or a handshake and that's what my girls will be taught to do by my wife and I via my grandfather they'll be taught to to respect the greatness of the country that invited their ancestors in the reason why we're all here a country that identified and put an end to one of humanity's greatest sins in a matter of years Of course, working on it over centuries and tweaking and improving, whereas some nations have persisted for millennia and will never even consider making that kind of self-correction, that kind of change. They'll be taught to value that. They'll be taught that the sins of the country were largely practiced by those screaming the loudest today about oppression and inequality. They'll be taught that those same people practice those very sins in other forms in the present. Because that's what they do even if they don't mean it. They're doing it right here in and now. They will be taught to be self-responsible and to have respect for themselves and those that came before them. They'll be taught that, this, that their safety and security as young women is never up for negotiation. It's never going to be something that can be sacrificed at the whim of some elected, elected ideologue that loathes themselves. It's not up for negotiation. I, re- I reiterate here in closing that they'll never owe anyone an apology outside of repentance for their own misdeeds their own mistakes as individuals as autonomous beings they'll never owe apologies for their mother and father or our mothers and fathers or our grand you know grandfathers grandmothers nothing no one perhaps your ancestors have something to apologize for and i say your as a new yorker as a northerner and i'm speaking broadly generally speaking to those who who protest most vociferously to us here down in the South. They'll never have something to apologize for, but maybe your ancestors have something to apologize for. And I say that mostly in jest. I would suggest that your ancestors likely have nothing to be sorry about down here in Virginia and, and lower, regardless of whom they may have fought for in the Civil War. You can't put a 2021 21 lens on things centuries in the past, centuries behind us. It's part of this circus that we're creating here in, in, in this realm of debate. I share my own story here, my family's story, more than mine, not to get some, not, not to set some arbitrary bar for what qualifies for absolution, for the country's prior faults, but to say that we all have different stories. Within those stories rests a billion varied life experiences and outcomes. That's diversity. That's the diversity we should be celebrating and drawing out of people and learning from. Don't let oppressors like the school board or LCPS rob you of that. Don't allow them to dictate to your kids that the lives and decisions that led to their existence as students here in Loudoun County, the nation's supposed best county, that they don't matter. Or that they matter less, perhaps, because of the color of their skin, that they're one race or the other, or another. They want to turn your life into little else but some other definition, just as they want to make you and force you to define CRT before you condemn it. A definition that fits into the tiniest of boxes, a box that looks exactly the same as the neighbor to your left and right. This is not the reality of the world. This is not diversity. This is not inclusion. This is not equity. This is not equality. This is not progress. It's not teaching actual history, as they so like to say. It's the desecration of all of those things. It spits on everything that comes before it. That is the basis of critical race theory. That's what they want you to accept with no questions asked. To Loudon parents and other participants in the fight, I said it once, I'll say it again, keep it up. Progressivism never backs down and it never yields an inch. You shouldn't either. God bless you. Be safe.